Yeah, one of my favorite books is one that just recently came out. It's called Introverts in the Church. I could have written it. Uh, so uh, as Chris mentioned, a long-standing tradition we have with Anthem is that the last Sunday of the year, the pastor gets the time off. So the gentleman who was here last week, Terry Risky, is talking in Hayden and says, you can't be in two places. Well, here I am. How did we come to be here? And by the way, my speaking coach reminded me to talk loudly and smile. Okay, so here I am. Uh, last week, Chris, at the party of the celebration, asked who was here from the beginning. And my wife and I were not here for that first baptism, but I'm pretty sure we, here, we were here for the second baptism at the Croc Center. So we found ourselves, after living here for a while, in need of a new place to worship. Um, so we looked around a few places, and our friends invited us to come to Anthem when it was meeting in the evening. Okay, now, when we walked in, there were very few gray hairs in the room. Now, Chris's parents had to be there because their kid was running the place, and our friends had to be there because their daughter was on the worship team. And other than that, it's the guy in the mirror and my wife. The room was saturated with four things that I don't like or will never have. Okay? Ink, metal, hair, and loud music. God used that time to change the equation for my wife and I. Are we called to be here? And if we're called, then everything else is irrelevant. And that's how we got here. For those of you who are nostalgic, this may be the last message you hear delivered from paper. But I recognize that in North Idaho, we pay people to cut down trees, so I'm just doing my part. <laughs> um, Chris asked me to prepare for this in November, and for some reason this song kept going through my mind, which was not played this morning. And when I do this, you'll be happy that I am not on the worship team. And it's that love is the anchor, uh, my hope is uh, from you alone, okay? How many people are sailors in the room? Uh, we got some work to do. <laughs> the, the reference on anchor comes from Hebrews uh, 6. We have this as an anchor of the soul. This is an aside. This part will not be on the test, okay? Anchors. Anchors are like medical doctors, attorneys, and mechanics. When you need one, you need one but you don't want to hang out there for long periods of time, okay? So an anchor for a warship is used for protection so you don't run aground. It's used for replenishment and rejuvenation if you happen to be in a foreign port, but it really doesn't contribute to mission. So you need one, but when that time is done, you weigh anchor, you head out. Okay, that part's not on the test. Let's pray. Father, sober us as we enter a new year. Help us to grow in Christ-likeness as we trust one another in our relationships. May your word today change our lives and bring joy to you. Oh, Lord. Amen. Our topic today is conflict resolution. Aren't you glad you're here? I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 18. This is probably 15 months in the future by the time we get there. Uh, so Matthew 18, 15, you can read along 
on the screen. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not, take one or two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and tax gatherer. Related verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them as he committed to us the word of reconciliation. And finally, as an introductory verse, we want to use often regarding our community groups, Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So a pre-summary. I want to, as a reminder, uh, say that we at Anthem want all our actions based on Scripture. We don't want to overlook anything that's in Scripture. We don't want to add anything that's not there. Everyone has conflict. Even Jesus. Even the apostles among one another. So why should I be exempt? We have conflict because of our desires. We'll look at James 4. We need to resolve it because we're commanded to. It's everyone's responsibility. We're always seeking restoration and reconciliation. God doesn't use the word punishment when dealing with his children, and neither do we. Confession and forgiveness are gifts from God to restore relationships. And how we handle conflict is a hallmark of a Christ-following community. In November, Kyle talked about examining ourselves using 2 Corinthians 13. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Then later in December, Chris went worked through the advent of uh, hope, joy, peace, and love. During Advent, we emphasize those four, but remember the real reason for Christ's coming was to reconcile us to him, to reconcile the world, resolve that sin between God and man. So what happens when issues are ignored? deferred, or kicked down the road. Well, it's not like wine or cheese. It doesn't get better with age. James 4 tells us why we have conflict. He writes, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have. So you commit murder, you are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, 
so that you may spend it on your pleasures. We are in a battle for the kingdom each and every day. Why do we need to resolve it? Well, first and foremost is that Jesus commanded it. Uh, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how, much, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus says, no. What does he say? Not seven, but 70 times seven. Secondly, the writer of Hebrews talks about avoiding a root of bitterness. Say, pursue peace with all men, that is, resolve conflict. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. So what's a root of bitterness? Looking through some uh, uh, references, I found this word picture. A root of bitterness is like a seed planted by someone, some event, maybe by myself, or even by God's conviction. I feel hurt, and the seed takes root. I feel I can justify myself because of my, my hurt. Meanwhile, the root grows, and the fruit springs up, as Hebrews writes, and causes trouble. So let's ask God to reveal that and remove it. And lastly, a big contribution to marriage stress is the failure to deal with conflict. So since we can't avoid it, how we handle it is key to our relationships. God says we're always working towards reconciliation and restoration. So let me read again from Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you've gained your brother. So what restoration and reconciliation, what is it not? Well, it's not public unless it needs to be. See Christ's comments to Peter that were only to the disciples when Peter says, uh, challenges Jesus going to the cross, what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Now that wasn't to the synagogue or the temple. That was just to the twelve because that was the the, the people that were affected by, by uh, what Peter was saying. Now, as an aside, isn't it interesting that we learn as much or more from Peter in his humanity and his mistakes as we do from the favorite son, John? Conflict is part of our lives. So it's not punishment. It's not embarrassing. It's not a badge of righteousness I use to flail others. What restoration and reconciliation is and are, it's to be expected. Even the perfect man, Jesus, had conflict. Jesus was in the garden. He especially had repeated conflict with the Pharisees. Paul writes in Galatians, I opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. These are two saints of the New Testament. As a Christ follower, conflict and resolution and restoration is an opportunity to step out in faith. 
And what it is, it's with gentleness. Paul writes it to Galatians, to Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, twice to Timothy, James and, and Peter repeated as well with gentleness. And if there's ever a place where the golden rules should apply, this is it. Because we can expect God to speak into our lives from others. So consider how Jesus dealt with people. Who did he blast? Really, only the self-righteous religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. By the way, how did he deal with women? The woman at the well, okay, the woman caught in adultery with Martha. I can see no reference in scripture where Jesus was critical of a lady. So gals, you get off pretty easy. Who gets to resolve the conflict? Uh, look in the mirror and then look around. It's everyone's responsibility. It's a hallmark of a Christ-following community, how we handle conflict. The verse we use often to support our community groups is consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Resolving and reconciling relationships is a big part of that. Jesus also says in John 13, reference I'm sure we've heard many times, is a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A pastor I listen to puts it this way. There are two people who will tell you the truth about yourself. An enemy who's lost his temper and a friend who loves you dearly. So our responsibility is to others is not to bind things Scripture doesn't bind, nor ignore things that the Scripture is clear about. The place an organization or a group shines is not when everything's going right. It's when things go south. People are upset. The order didn't get filled right. Then we have an opportunity to show grace, integrity, and honesty. Think of an event in the community you're in if someone confessed they had acted unbecoming to his or her spouse and asked for forgiveness and walking that out. Wouldn't that just endear tremendous respect for that person to humble themselves and walk that out? Do we trust the people around us to have our best interests, our community members, community leaders, elders, pastors, and staff? Do I trust God or do I try to please him? One of the things I've learned for myself is that my identity is not achieved, it's received. When I try to please God, it's all on me. When I trust him, then he gets to do the work and I receive it. The Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11 starts out with, without faith or trust, it is impossible to please God. For whoever, whoever would draw near to him believes that he exists and is a rewarder to those who seek him. 
So do we trust those around us enough to allow them to speak into my, on our lives that they're not mean-spirited, prideful, or vindictive? If so, then let's prepare to receive that. Throughout scripture, God's method is men and women, not often angels, to accomplish his kingdom business. Abraham, Moses, Noah, Jonah, David, the prophets, Esther, Daniel, Mary, the 12 apostles, Paul, Titus, Timothy, you, and me. So expect to be used by God in the development of others and have God use others to develop me. What constitutes an offense? Ken Sandy is the writer of a book called Peacemakers, and he summarizes it this way. It's things that are dishonoring to God, has damaged our relationship, is hurting or may hurt others, and is hurting the offender in ways they may not see. So dishonoring God is not just a difference of opinions. We want to overlook the small stuff. I may have a standard of conduct in my life that God has given to me, that doesn't necessarily raise it to a universal standard for everyone else. The appropriate clothes, the kind of cars you drive, the vacations you take, okay, that's an issue between you and the Lord. Uh, to judge others on that or make that as a point of reconciliation or, or, or take it up as an offense, we want to be very careful there. If it's damaged our relationship, means I'm, I'm staying up at night thinking things are not right. I don't want to see that person in Costco. What do we do about it? The Holy Spirit is working in us to take those steps. It may or may not, or it may be hurting or is hurting someone else. That may be a time when a less mature member of your community comes to you and says, I've got a real problem with a third party. That's an opportunity for us to help them walk through restoration. Chris talked about joy on December 15th. So here are some ways to walk in that joy. First of all, let me acknowledge that one of the reasons we shy away from conflict is fear. We fear we're gonna lose a friend. We fear of the negative response of being wrong in my assessment. So as an application challenge for each of us, can we start this new year to make a commitment to welcome feedback, to be part of that Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron community, and not respond in anger, but to look for truth? Can we each make that commitment ourselves for this year? When you come to that point, we want to start with ourselves. Matthew 7 says, get the log out of your own eye before you look at the speck in somebody else's. What's our response? Do I thank God for people willing to approach me? Is there any truth in what they're saying? Do I listen and consider? Who makes the first move? Paul tells us in Galatians, the one who is more mature in faith, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Most conflict can occur between two people without anyone else knowing about it. Doesn't have to get to your community leader, doesn't have to get to the staff, doesn't have to get to the elders, doesn't have to get to the pastor. Can accomplish between two people, as Matthew writes. When you hear the word fraternity, what connotation do you have? We have a daughter who lives in Rathroom with uh, four of our grandchildren, her husband. We have two boys, one in Texas, one in Illinois. When they're ready to go to college, our daughter went to YWAM and served there for a while. Oldest son is going to college, University of Idaho. Dad, I want to join a fraternity. Silence from me. I just see things going south every which way from Sunday. Take a deep breath, he goes, it's okay. They're an upstanding part of the university campus. Son number two goes to college, says he wants to join a brother's fraternity. Well, it turned out okay for him. Uh, life's good, so he joins. Meanwhile, first older son has a position of leadership within the fraternity. He is organizing and running the pledges indoctrination program, which is usually a period of probation for a semester or so. Son number two has conduct that's unbecoming. Unbecoming to him, unbecoming to the family, unbecoming to the fraternity, unbecoming. Son number one, is he going to invoke consequences or not? How did that work out? Son number one has fairly strict consequences. Number two, he could have provided the Hawaiian salute and been out of there. But no. They walked out the consequences in humility, served you know, that example of those consequences. I can't tell you how proud I am of our boys for doing that. Today, they're best friends. They walked through that together. I've had to walk this out several times with elders, with other staff members, that God has convicted me to come and say, if I've caused a break in our relationship, I want to make sure that it's healed. So again, how may this come up? Number one, God has convicted me. I need to go to someone and say, you know, my words, my actions, my thoughts last week may have stressed our relationship. Please forgive me. This could be an answer to our prayers to grow in Christ-likeness, to take that step of obedience. A writer I know expresses it this way. Confession and forgiveness are gifts from God to restore relationships with God and with others. Confession and forgiveness are gifts from God to restore relationships. Sometimes we have to forgive twice if we're offended. Once is to free me from the hurt done to me, 
And when the offender comes to me and asks for forgiveness, is to free them from the hurt they caused. That they have. Second, someone comes to me to resolve stress in our relationship or an offense that they have caused with me. What's my response? To listen, apologize if there's wrongdoing, pray and move forward. If your friends, community leader, staff, elders are doing our jobs, the first thing we're gonna ask you if you come with a lament is, have you talked to the other person about this? And then when we see you a week later, your friends, your community leader, the staff, the elders are gonna ask you again, have you resolved this issue? If not, let us go together to the third party and not let this fester. How long do we tarry? As long as the Lord brings it up. I have a note in my Bible on Psalm 50, uh, 71. It says 1991 was the worst year of my professional life. I was new to a job here in North Idaho and me and another guy just butted heads. Okay, he's smart, hardworking, productive. We just did not get along. Um, he and I both got letters of instruction from the commanding officer for insubordination. Kind of a low point in my professional career. He ended up moving on, taking a job elsewhere, 91. Last month, 27 years later, calls me on the phone, says, I have an assignment that I had to work on, and I thought of you. Give me your email address, and I'll send you a copy of what he wrote. So he was in a, I'm assuming it was a Christian college class, and the topic was, describe a time when you saw the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God in a Christian that you know. So he became a Christian in that intervening time and has wrote this paper. And he wrote it about our account and how we butted heads and later on came out of it. When I read that, I wept. Not because it vindicated my actions, because I did plenty of things wrong, but that God moved in the heart of another man to seek reconciliation. A couple of beware ofs. Beware of the passive non-apology. If anyone was offended by what I might have done, I'm sorry that you might feel that way. <laughs> no, I'm hurt because our relationship is severed and I want to restore it. Please forgive me. Beware of the common younger response of no problem, no worries, no big deal, I'm good. If that's true, fine. But be, don't mask your own hurt. If someone comes to you and says, I want to restore a relationship, and if you really were not offended, and that has happened several times uh, to me, then fine. But if you were hurt, say yes, your actions did cause me concern. Thank you for coming. Let's pray together.
as a final point, as the worship team comes back up, can we make the new year one of short accounts, humble obedience, and model reconciliation? So in summary, we seek to apply the, the principles of Scripture in all that we do here at Anthem. Everyone has conflict, even Jesus did. We have conflict because of our desires. We need to resolve it because we're commanded to. It's everyone's responsibility. And the most mature are commanded to make the first move. We're always seeking reconciliation and restoration. God doesn't use punishment dealing with his saints. Confession and forgiveness are gifts from God to restore relationships. How we handle it is a hallmark of our Christ-following community. And the bonus material not on the test is you need an anchor when you need one, but you don't want to hang out there. So we'll have folks up here to pray with you after. If you need some help walking through some restoration and reconciliation, we'd be glad to play with you about that. Thank you so much.